Do any of you, do any of you by any chance remember this little girl right here? You remember this little girl right here? I, for one, do not remember this little girl because I was only four years old when she took this picture. You see, this little girl's name, this little girl's name is Jessica. Her name is Jessica McClure. And in 1987, something very tragic happened to her. You see, at only 18 months, she was playing in the backyard of her, of her aunt's home in Midland, Texas. And while her mom ran into the house to answer a phone call real quick, she fell into a well. She actually fell into a 22-foot deep well. In fact, because the well was also only eight inches wide, the first responders who came onto the scene, they had a very difficult time trying to get her out of there. You see, since the well was surrounded by rock, they actually had to enlist the help of some oil drillers and mining experts, and they had to drill a shaft that was parallel to the well, and they also had to build a, a horizontal tunnel through the rock. They had to do all kinds of very difficult things to get this little girl out of that well, and thankfully, after 56 hours, and with the whole country watching on national television, they were able to get her safely out of there. Jessica survived. Jessica was rescued and saved through the tireless efforts of multitudes of hardworking and talented people. In fact, she is still alive today and she's married and has two children. Now this happened back in 1987. And for those of you who were alive during that time, and you remember this, you know that it gained national. It was a story that gained national attention. It gained national media attention. People across the country knew that this little girl was in that well, and they cared immensely about her well-being. I mean, even the president at that time cared about her well-being. The president at that time, Ronald Reagan, he said that while Jessica was in that well, everybody in America became godfathers and godmothers to her. That is how concerned so many people were about little baby Jessica and as I read about this story a few days ago, it made me wonder about something. It made me wonder about us. It made, me, it made me wonder about me and about you. It made me wonder about all the Jessicas that we have in our lives today. Brothers and sisters, what are we doing about all the Jessicas in our lives today? What are we doing about the people who we know are in danger? What are we doing about the people who we know need to be rescued? What are we doing about the people who we know who are stuck right now in the well of sin? They're drowning in sin. 
They're in danger right now of being separated from God forever and ever and ever and ever. What are we doing about those kinds of people that we have in our lives right now? I mean, are we just sitting back and doing nothing about those people? Are we turning a blind eye to those people? Are we oblivious to those people? Are we deceiving ourselves into thinking that their current spiritual danger is not really a big deal? If we are walking around in our lives with that kind of mentality, then I want to suggest that we need to do something this morning. We need to listen to Jesus. We need to listen to what Jesus told his apostles in John chapter four. Remember where our scripture reading came from in John chapter four. Remember after Jesus had converted a Samaritan woman at a well. That Samaritan woman. She went back to her city. And she told her countrymen about Jesus. She told her countrymen that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. And as those people from her city began making their way out to Jesus, Jesus told his apostles to lift up their eyes. He told them to look on the spiritual field. He told them to recognize and understand the need to rescue the lost souls of the Samaritans while they had an opportunity. Jesus wanted his apostles to recognize the need to help people who were stuck in the spiritual well of sin and that is something that Brother Brian and I want to challenge you to also do as we have now reached the final portion of our Hand to the Plow series for the year. You see, now that we've talked about three specific fields so far in, 20, in 2022, now that we've talked about the field of the heart and the field of the family and even the field of the church, Brother Brian and I want to wrap up 2022 by talking with you for the next few months about the field of the lost. We want to talk with you about the same field that Jesus talks about in John chapter 4. We want to talk with you about some things that you can do right now to work the field of the lost and help rescue lost souls who are in great spiritual danger. In fact, I want to suggest that the first thing you got to do if you want to be effective in working the field of the lost is you need to plant some seeds. You need to plant some seeds in this field. Just like we tried to plant seeds in all the other fields we've talked about this year. In fact, there are four seeds, four seeds that I believe we can all plant in the field of the lost. And the first seed is this right here. The first seed is the seed of light. The seed of light, the same seed that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16. You remember Matthew 5 and verse 16, Brother Dave brought up the wonderful ser Sermon on the Mount and his Lord's Supper talk this morning. And I want to make reference to that great sermon. In Matthew 5 and verse 16, Jesus, as he speaks to his disciples, he says, let your, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Notice how here Jesus is telling his people, to shine their light. 
to shine their light before people in the world. The Apostle Paul echoes this in the book of Philippians. We go in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to Philippians chapter 2 and listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the brethren in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2 and in verse number 14, in Philippians 2 and verse number 14, the Apostle Paul said to these brethren, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you approve yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights, as lights in the world. Do you see the charge that we've been given as the people of God? Do you see the charge that we've been given as disciples of Jesus Christ? Do you see how in a world where the vast majority of people don't love God, don't serve God, don't trust God, and don't obey God, the Bible says that God wants us to be a beacon of light. The Bible says that God wants us to shine. God wants us to stand out and stick out. God wants us to be noticeably different in every facet of our lives. Practically speaking, God wants us to talk different. God wants our speech to be different and how we dress to be different. And he wants our marriages to be different. And he wants how we raise our kids to be different. And he even wants our priorities to be different and how we handle problems and crises in this life to be different. Whenever we face deep and, and horrible and very challenging problems in this life, unlike the world, which believes that all of our problems can be remedied by politicians and human knowledge and education, God wants us to never be ashamed to tell people that we put our trust first and foremost in him. We put our trust first and foremost in God. We put our trust first and foremost in Jesus above anyone and anything. We trust the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is how we can shine as we live in a very dark and sinful world that is getting further and further away from the will of God. And let me just ask you, can you do that? Can you do that? Can you shine? Can you just live right? Can you just be different? Can you just live the life of a genuine and authentic disciple every single day? I want to suggest that you need to do that. I need to do that. We all need to do that if we're going to have any kind of influence with the lost. If we're going to have any kind of influence with the people who we know are stuck in the world of sin. I mean, imagine this. Imagine trying to invite somebody to church or to a Bible class and they hear you curse and use dirty speech, or maybe speak to your spouse like trash all the time. Imagine trying to invite somebody to a gospel meeting. Or maybe just to check out a sermon on our website, and they constantly see you at the bar, at the club, on Friday and Saturday nights. Imagine trying to speak to someone about your faith. And about the need to follow Jesus, someone who has the highest moral standard. But these people you're talking with about your faith, they know you're living with your boyfriend. Or you're living with your girlfriend. 
or they constantly hear you laughing at dirty jokes, or they always see you on social media sharing inappropriate pictures and memes. I mean, people in the world see you doing that kind of stuff. Do you think you're going to have any kind of influence with them? You think they're going to take you seriously? You think they're going to take your face seriously? You think they're going to look at you and say, well, you know what? That right there, that is genuine discipleship, and I want to be part of that. I want some of what they have right now. You think the people in the world are going to say that about you? Of course not. Of course not. I want to tell you a story. It's probably a story you've heard before, so please bear with me. I want to tell it again because I think it goes perfectly with this lesson right here. Now you know me by now. You know that one thing I'll never apologize for is I'll never apologize for speaking good things about my wife. I'll never apologize for bragging about my wife and saying positive things about her. So I want to tell you a story about her. Before we moved here from Middle Tennessee, we had a a special event at the congregation we were laboring with in, in Columbia, in Columbia, Tennessee. It was actually an event where we encouraged people to invite as many non-Christians as they knew to come to a special assembly that we were having on a Sunday. At this special assembly, I was going to preach a lesson a particular lesson about the Bible and how we can trust that the Bible is the word of God. We pushed this thing for months, for months and months and months, and we were going to have it at 2 o'clock on Sunday. We did it at 2 o'clock on Sunday in case the people who came, if they already had a church they were part of, where they could still come at 2 o'clock and make it back to their congregation. That wasn't going to get in their way. And so we had it at 2 o'clock on a Sunday, and to the glory of God, a lot of folks showed up. A lot of non-New Testament Christians showed up. In fact, Janicia had eight. She had eight teachers from her school showed up. Now, one of them, her name is Angela. Angela was the music teacher. She had almost no religious background. Didn't go to church wasn't part of her church. In fact, at that time when she visited us, she was currently living with her boyfriend. She was not a very religious person at all, but she came to that service that day because she told me, she told me that there was something different about Janicia. She told me that her friendly, optimistic, and positive spirit at work every day really stood out to her, and when she received an invitation from her to come to her congregation and listen to a sermon, even though she wasn't religious, she decided to take her up on that. She decided to come because she liked her. And I'm happy to tell you that after that visit, that one visit, we were able to set up some Bible studies with her. We had some Bible studies with her in our home at the kitchen table for several weeks, and she stopped living with her boyfriend, and she was baptized for the remission of her sins, and today she is married, she has a son, and she is an active member of that congregation. She is part of the kingdom of God, and you know where it all started? It all started right here. It started with being a light. 
It started with a disciple shining her light, being a Christian, being a positive Christian example on her job. One of the things we can all do, one of the things we can all do is we can plant the seed of light. We can plant the seed of light with the lost, but not only do we need to plant the seed of light, let's add to the list by saying that we need to plant the seed of grace. The seed of grace. You know, it's often the case that people in the world, and I've seen this firsthand, maybe you have also, but it's often the case that people in the world won't listen to anything you have to say and for, until they first know you're a person of grace. Until they first know that you have some concern and care about them. I think we see that in Acts chapter 16 in the case of the Apostle Paul and, and Silas. Do you remember in our scripture reading or in our daily Bible reading, we read from Acts 16 a couple of weeks ago. And remember in Acts 16, we read about the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel in the Macedonian city of Philippi. He's preaching the gospel in Philippi. He converts Lydia and some other women that he meets at a riverside. And then he casts the evil spirit out of a slave girl and her masters who made a lot of money from her. They were upset about that. And they orchestrated something to where Paul and Silas were arrested and they were beaten and they were thrown in a Philippian jail cell. And so look at verse number 25 of Acts 16. In Acts 16, verse number 25, after Paul and Silas were thrown in prison, it says, but about midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everybody's chains were unfastened. When the jailer, Notice this jailer. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we're all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night, and he washed their wounds. And immediately, immediately, this is about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning probably, he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and said, food before them, and rejoiced greatly having believed in God with his, own, with his whole household. How did we get there? How do we get here to what we find in verse number 34? I mean, notice what we, what we learned about this jailer when we were first introduced to him. Notice how when we were first introduced to this jailer, this Philippian jailer, he was a man who was experiencing a crisis. He was going through a rough moment in his life. He was literally facing a life and death moment. You see, since the Roman government dealt harshly with jailers who were unable to produce the prisoners that were under their charge, this jailer who was watching over Paul and Silas while they were locked up in prison, he started to panic after he woke up and realized that all the jail cells were open after an earthquake had took place. I mean, once he wakes up and he sees that all the jail cells are open because an earthquake had just occurred, he thinks 
that these guys are going to get out of here. These guys are about to run out of here. They were about to escape and, and he's going to be tortured by the government as a result. And so to bypass that, to bypass being tortured, he says, I'm just going to kill myself. I mean, he's rock bottom. He's ready to kill himself. This man's ready to commit suicide right there in the jail cell. But he heard a voice in the darkness telling him to stop. He heard a voice in the darkness telling him that everything's okay. Nobody is escaping. He heard a voice in the darkness offering him some grace and compassion and some hope. All of that, all of that helped contribute to the conversion of this man. And let me just ask you, do you think we got some people like this in the valley today? Do you think we got some people like the jailer walking around in the valley today? You better believe we got some people like the jailer walking around in the valley today. You better believe that today, right here in the valley, we encounter people all the time who are broken. And they are hurting and they're going through crises and they're confused and they're suffering as they try to navigate their way through a world that is full of uncertainties and broken families and division and hatred. You better believe that today we got people on our jobs and in our communities and in our apartment complexes and maybe even right here in this church building this morning and they are about to break down. I mean, they're stressed out of out of their minds right now because of our economy. Or because maybe they're going through a divorce. Or maybe they just lost their job. Maybe they just lost a child. Maybe they just lost a grandchild. Maybe they're lacking community. Maybe they're dealing with some awful physical consequence of sin. You see, there are jailers. There are jailers all around us. And the world in which we live today, and you know what that provides us with as disciples? That provides us with a great opportunity. That provides us with an opportunity to be like the Apostle Paul. That provides us with an opportunity to show people some grace. And to show people some love and some compassion and give people some hope. That provides us with an opportunity to show people a better way. To show people that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way to true peace. Jesus is the way to true contentment. Jesus is the way to true fulfillment. Jesus is the way to, to find a firm foundation to stand on. Whenever all kind of problems and crises begin to infiltrate your life. I want to tell you another story. I want to tell you another story. This is another story from when we lived in Middle Tennessee. When we first moved to Middle Tennessee, back at the end of 2012, so Michael was going to daycare for a little bit. He was going to daycare. And one of his daycare workers was a man named Ricky. Ricky. You see, as a little boy, Sean Michael would always be nice to Ricky whenever the other kids at the daycare gave him a hard time. In fact, there was a time when one day Janice and Sean Michael ran into Ricky at Walmart, and they invited him to church. They invited him to come and, and, and visit a worship assembly. And a couple of weeks later, Ricky shows up. 
Ricky shows up on a Sunday morning. In fact, after I had preached my sermon and I gave the invitation and people were singing the invitation song, Ricky walks down the aisle and he sits in the front pew. He sits in the front pew and he is bawling. I mean, he is crying like crazy. He is in a lot of pain. There's water coming all out of his eyes. He can't control himself. And the reason why is because he had just been in a terrible car accident a couple of days earlier. A couple of days before he showed up, he had been in a car accident. And the result of that accident had brought about some problems in his life. And he told me he remembered the kindness of a little boy and his invitation to come to church and that prodded him to show up on that Sunday morning. In fact, after having numerous Bible studies with Ricky, he was baptized. He became a Christian and he's also still serving the Lord despite battling bladder cancer today. Again, it all started right here. It's not rocket science. You want to win the loss, you want to win the loss, start with shining your light. And be a person of grace. Be a person of compassion and love. And people will, will remember you when they start having problems in their life. In fact, that brings us to a third seed that we can plant in the field of the loss. And let's add this. Let's add some praise. Let's ask some praising of God and his son, Jesus the Christ. Will you go in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 10? I'm going to Matthew chapter 10, and I'm listening to what Jesus told his apostles before sending them out to preach the gospel. In Matthew chapter 10, in verse number 32, Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him. I will also deny him before my father who's in heaven. Notice how Jesus says, Jesus says that disciples must be willing to confess their faith. We got to be willing to confess our faith in Jesus. We got to be willing to confess our faith in him as the Lord. In fact, beyond doing that, just before we get baptized, in that context, Jesus is talking about doing that every day. He's talking about confessing him as Lord all the time. In our lives, I believe that's exactly what we find Paul and Silas doing back in Acts chapter 16. Going back to Acts 16, the verse we read earlier, remember after having their feet fastened in the stocks by the jailer, and after being beaten and stripped naked and put into the inner, inner part of the prison, the Bible says that while they were chained up, Paul and Silas were doing two things. What were they doing? They were praying. And they were singing. They were praying and they were singing. In fact, they were singing so loud that the scripture says the other people in the jail could hear them. The other prisoners in the jail cell could hear the apostle Paul and Silas singing praises to their God, glorifying God, even though they were going through a terrible time of injustice in their lives. In fact, beyond the prisoners hearing Paul and Silas singing on that occasion, I'm willing to even suspect that that jailer could as well. Oh, yes, that jailer could also hear them singing. 
he could hear them glorifying God, even though they had been stripped and beaten and thrown in prison. That probably made such an impression on that man that when that moment of crisis came upon him in his life and he was thinking about committing suicide, he turned to them for help before anyone else. That's the kind of impact praising God had on this jailer. And I wonder, I wonder if we realize that we can have the same kind of impact on people today. I wonder if we realize that we can have the same kind of impact on lost people today. I wonder if we realize that praising God is something that we can do today that will help us shine our lights. And it may cause people to want to investigate our faith. And please don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand what I mean when I say praising God. When I say we need to praise God, I'm not saying you need to go to Walmart or Fry's today and sing your favorite church hymn as loud as you can throughout the store. That's not what I mean when I say that. I'm not talking about doing that. Instead, what I'm talking about is doing very simple things. I'm talking about in your daily interactions and in your daily conversations with people on your job or in your school or in your community, naturally look for ways to mention God. Naturally look for ways to talk about God and to talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel. Whenever somebody compliments you or maybe compliments your family, Give God the glory for that. Maybe somebody says, oh, my goodness, you've been married for, for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. That's unheard of in our time today. Give God the glory for that. God bless this. Give God the glory if you get complimented on your children being so well behaved. Give God the glory when somebody says, oh, I see you're well from a sickness you had. Give God the glory for that. Text a friend from work a scripture whenever you learn they're going through a difficult moment in their life. Tell unbelievers that you are praying for them whenever you learn that they're sick or whenever you learn they have a family member who is sick. Talk about your deep trust in God whenever you hear people in the world express disappointment and frustration because the midterm elections didn't turn out in the way that they desire. You see, all of those kinds of moments, they give us opportunities they give us opportunities to verbalize trust in God. They give us opportunity to verbalize faith in Jesus and faith in the gospel. They give us opportunities to plant some seeds in people, to cause people to think about God and think about Jesus and think, think about how God changed our lives and he can change theirs also. You see, light, grace, praise. These are some seeds that we can plant every day in the field of the lost. In fact, let me give you one more real quick and we're going to be done. Here's a fourth seed that you can plant right now in the field of the lost, and that's the seed of an invitation. The seed of an invite, a personal invitation. I recently ran across a religious poll that revealed that a little over 50% of unchurched people say that they would attend a church service with somebody if they were just invited. Over 50%, can you believe that? It, it reminds me of what we find in the Gospel of John. Will you go in your Bible to one more place with me this morning, please? In John chapter 1, I'm reminded of Philip. In John chapter 1 and verse number 43, in John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse number 43, 
The Bible says the next day he, referring to Jesus, proposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come, you come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I want you to just notice Philip. Notice Philip. Notice what Philip does on this occasion. Do you see what Philip does on this occasion? Do you see what Philip offers Nathaniel? Do you see how by just offering Nathaniel? A simple invitation. Nathaniel was able to hear Jesus. He was able to see Jesus. He was able to see evidence that convinced him to believe with all his heart that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah. A simple invitation was the beginning of Nathaniel's journey to Jesus. And I submit that it can also be the beginning of so many lost people's journey to Jesus right here in the valley. You see, if we're actively doing the first three things here, if we're shining our light, if we're being gracious, if we're finding ways to talk about God and give glory to God in our daily lives, we can do the same thing as Philip, and we can invite people to come and see. Come and see God. Come and see Jesus. Come here and see New Testament worship. Come here and hear the gospel. Come here and go to Bible class with us. Come here and ask Bible questions and get Bible answers. Come to a quarterly youth devotional. Come to a gospel meeting. Come to a singing. Come and check out our website and listen to a lesson. Come to a ladies class that's offered once a month. You see, when disciples firmly plant the first three seeds, a simple invitation, a simple invitation can be just as powerful and effective today as it was in the time of Philip. In fact, in addition to both Angela, who I told you about, and Ricky, I'm pretty sure there are probably some people here in the room this morning whose journey to Jesus also began with a simple invitation, right? Somebody, maybe a family member, a friend, a coworker, they invited you to come and hear the word of God and that simple invitation did what? It changed your life forever. What I just want you to see is while we were not there in 1987 to help rescue little baby Jessica, today we do have an opportunity to help rescue so many, to so many people. Today we have an opportunity to rescue so many people who are in far 
worse danger than Jessica was. Today we have an opportunity to rescue people who are stuck in the well of sin. And as we begin our, our rescue efforts, we can do these very simple things right here. We can shine our light. We can be gracious. Give praise to God. Invite someone. I mean, who can't do these things right here? Have I given you anything hard to do this morning? This stuff is not hard. This is stuff we can all do. We can do this today. We can do it tomorrow. We can do it at the school, at the job, in our neighborhood. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You can do these four things that we've talked about today. And if you do these things, you may do the best thing you could ever do in your life. And that is help win a lost soul for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, maybe there's somebody here this morning, and that's exactly what you are. Maybe this morning you sit there and you realize that you're lost. You're separated from God. You're not a child of God. You're not part of the kingdom of God or the church of our Lord. If that describes you this morning, then I want you to know that you're in the right place at the right time. You are among God's people. You're among people who love you, and who care about you. And if you want to study the Bible, hey, pull me aside. Pull one of our elders aside. We'll be more than happy to study with you the Bible, talk with you more about Jesus. Or if you're someone here and you already know what the Lord requires of you, but you haven't been doing anything about that. You need to believe in him and confess your faith in him and repent and be baptized. If that's your desire, then you need to do that today. The water is ready. The angels are ready. And if we can assist you in that in any way at all, then the Lord, the Lord invites you to come to the front right now as we stand.